Thank you, Maureen. It's beautiful. Thank you, Olivia, for the offertory. Ushers are here at the front. If you did not get the handout, no, it may look like last week's, but it is not. And you will be lost if you don't have it. So raise your hand if you don't have one. Raise your hand if you do not have a handout. And our guys are going to make their way back. Raise your hand if you don't have one. Good job, guys. I told them if they go too slow, it makes the preacher want to kill himself. And look at how good they did. They, they must love me. Paul. Oh, I won't say anything about that. All right, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4 as well. Acts chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 4. Let's go to the Lord. Father, your Bible is so amazing, and it, it really is incredible that you have revealed truth to us. <clears throat> but you have also hidden some things. And even though if, if we just read your words and believe them, they become very apparent because of the way your word has been taught, many people have missed it. So, Father, help us to do the work we need to this morning to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I hope that you all recognize if I spend this much time on a particular topic, it's really got to be important. It's, it's just vital for us to understand it. This morning, there will be a little bit of review, and we'll be adding and building on what we have learned. But you really need to know this. We had a question in our Sunday school hour today, a wonderful conversation, about basically, if God is all-powerful and all-loving, why is there evil and suffering in the world? If God's powerful enough to stop it and loving enough to care, why doesn't he do it? And we had the, the full hour in Sunday school was about that subject. And the reason that people struggle, people who are Christians or who call themselves Christians, the reason people struggle with this is because they do not understand the distinction between the two kingdoms that we're looking at here in our text. So let's get our, our foundation, let's get our foundation laid. Why are we in this subject in our study of the book of Acts? Our study is called the beginning of our story. And in verse three, chapter one and verse three, talking about Christ, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, that's after his death, by many infallible proofs being seen of them. Is everybody there? Acts chapter one. We're going to go to, to Daniel chapter four later. We're starting in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. See that? He's talking to them about the kingdom of God. Verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So he taught them about the kingdom of God. Now they're asking about the kingdom of Israel. Two different things. Two different topics. Two different subjects. 
I'll tell you something fun. Verse 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. As soon as we finish this, this study of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, we're going to go to the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. What was promised? What were they to wait for? And this is new information for, for them. They didn't know about it. What did they know about? They knew about a physical kingdom. They didn't understand what the Holy Spirit was going to do in a spiritual kingdom. They didn't understand it. They're told to wait for that to come. And what I'm telling you is wait for that to come. It is coming soon. Okay. Look with me at your handout. So let's get some definitions. Look at some definitions. The kingdom of God, a definition. And there's no, there's no blanks for you to fill out. You can take some notes on here. I wanted you to have this information. So the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Number one, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom over which God rules. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom over which God rules. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. No man hath seen God at any time, the Bible says. God is a spirit. You cannot see a spirit. All right? So, it's a spiritual kingdom. Number two, here's a quote from a study that Dalton Robertson did. The kingdom of God is clearly spiritual. And he cites two passages. The kingdom of God is clearly spiritual. Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Can you see peace? Can you see joy? Can you see righteousness? No, you can't see those things. You can see meat and drink. You can see those physical things. All right? Then, another passage is 1 Corinthians 4.20. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What was Paul talking about? He was saying that there were people that were puffed up in the church at Corinth. You could see them. They wanted to be seen. And Paul, and Paul identified himself as not good-looking, not eloquent in speech, but he came in power. That's what it was about. The Apostle Paul was known as a short man with kind of a high-pitched voice. All right, let's keep going. Number three, so, so remember what Paul is saying here, that, that the, the kingdom of God was revealed in power, not in physical presence or in stature, all right? Number three, so important, we're defining the kingdom of God. This kingdom was lost with Adam's fall. You mean Adam had a kingdom? Yeah, let's go to Genesis. Well, you know what, I've got it printed for you here. Look, look at what it says. We're going to come back and read it. Oh, let's go ahead and read number three. This kingdom was lost with Adam's fall and restored with the coming of Jesus Christ, the last Adam. So let's see if we can find that in Scripture. There on your, on your handout, Genesis 1.26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Never just read past that. That our, that plural is vital because God is the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image 
And so man was created in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. You are three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And God is the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, you might have come from a teacher that said man only has two parts. Um, They're just wrong. The Apostle Paul said that he's praying that God would preserve them body, soul, and spirit. So was Paul wrong and your teacher right? No, no. All right, let's keep going. Uh, So Genesis 126, there on your handout. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have, what's that word that we have in the verse? Dominion. Everyone, what's that word? Dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Man has a dominion. You are not equal with the animals. Right? To quote the elephant man, I'm not an animal. You are not. And here's the problem. We have our children being taught in school that they are animals, and then we wonder why they behave that way. You're not animals. Don't act like animals. Act like men. Act like women. Act like people that God created for a specific purpose. Amen? We have dominion over the animals, so go kill one. I know, you've got to be in the law and get your tag or whatever. But it's okay. How could you kill those precious little fish? Because they taste good. Right? If we're not supposed to eat animals, why did God make them out of meat? So, dominion. But man lost that dominion. We're going to define dominion in a minute. But man lost that dominion. Look at the next verse we have listed, Genesis 5.3. And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years and begat a son. Now, let's stop. You really believe he had a son? At 130 years, yes, God can count. He he knows what the numbers are. Remember, this is before, even though the fall had happened and sin had entered into the world, it hadn't corrupted the gene pool in such a way that lifespans were shortened. So people in this early period lived much longer than they do now. And they will live long again in the millennium, in the kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ that we're talking about. The Bible says that a a, a man will die at 100 years and it will be like he died as a baby. People will live longer during that time. All right, so Genesis 5.3. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son. Look at what it says. In his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. So Adam was a direct creation of God, didn't have a mother or father, but he is called the Son of God because he is a direct creation of God. The scripture reference for that is Luke 3.38, Adam, which was the Son of God. So he was a direct creation of God made in God's image and God's likeness. Because of sin entering in the world, the Bible says in Romans 5.12, therefore, as, or wherefore, as one, by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Death passed into the world because of Adam. They lost the ability to be a son of God at that point. And that meant they lost their dominion. They lost their dominion. Now they were going to be made in the image of Adam, born in the image of Adam. Number four. The first time it, the the term kingdom of God, shows up by name in the word of God 
is Matthew 6.33, and I have it listed for you here. Look at what it says. But seek ye first, do any of you know this verse? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So that that is obviously, clearly, a spiritual kingdom. So go back to number four. The first time it, the term kingdom, shows up by by name in the word of God is in Matthew 6.33, which is obviously spiritual in character. And what's so interesting about this first usage of this term in the Bible is that it's in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is where we have the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. And yet when there's a spiritual component to it, it's called the kingdom of God. Because heaven is a place, it is a thing. Jesus said in John 14, verse 1, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place. Then he went on to say, in my father's house are many mansions. Now, some of the modern Bibles say many apartments. I like mansions. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is a physical reality. It's not a spiritual reality. It's a physical reality. Okay, go back to your handout. So the kingdom of heaven is physical. Kingdom of God is spiritual. Verse uh, Matthew 6.33, there on your handout, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So Adam was given dominion over the earth. Man was given dominion over the earth. Let's define what dominion is. So letter B, the definition of dominion, it's a noun, and you can have a plural noun, dominions. This is from uh, Oxford. So number one, here's the definition, sovereignty or control. Men's attempt, attempt to establish dominion over nature. Now, it's so funny. God gave him dominion over nature. And since the fall, now we have to establish it. Now God put fear in the animals. They're afraid of us. They weren't, they, Adam was able to call them to him and he named them all. It's different. It's a different world. So here are some different words. This is so fun. Okay, everybody look up here at me. Words are fun. And God chose to communicate to us through words. So how many of you know that Jesus is supposed to be the king of your life, that he's supposed to be your king, your Lord? That is, he is to have dominion over you, or to put it another way, you are his dominion. So anybody saved? How many of you know for sure Jesus Christ is your savior? You're born again. Well, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You're where he lives, and you are his dominion. So let's look at some other words that define this. This is so fun. And okay, no, stop just a second before you look. How does your submission to Christ as your king relate to these words? This was really convicting for me. Let's look at these words. All right? So, similar words. Supremacy. Ascendancy, dominance, domination, superiority, predominance, preeminence, primacy, hegemony, authority, 
mastery, control, wow, command. How many of you know that, that the Holy Spirit is supposed to have control over you? How many of you know that Jesus, through his word, commands you? All right, so top of page two, control, command, direction, power, sway, rule. How long does it take to turn a page? Control. And it's all these morons on the front row. Come on. If you're watching online, I'm not sorry. Control, command, direction, power, sway, rule, government, jurisdiction, sovereignty, suzerainty, lordship, overlordship, leadership, influence, the upper hand, How about this one? The whip hand. Be honest. Some of you don't like that one. Remember what the Bible says? Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son. Oh, my. How about that? The whip hand. The edge the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Advantage, hold, grasp, empire, predomination, paramountcy, prepotence, prepotence, prepotency, prepollency. Some of those I've never heard of. Prepollency, is that before allergies? I don't know. The second definition they give is the territory of a sovereign or government. The territory of a sovereign or government. So, so how, do we, how do we understand all of this then? So go to Daniel chapter 4, and here's where we get the biblical understanding of this kingdom Daniel chapter 4, and look at verse 3. Well, you know what? Let's just start reading in verse 1. So, now remember what this this is the king. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. So, The one true God has revealed himself to a pagan king. That's what's happening here. Verse 3. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. So you see, kingdom and dominion, they go together in the Bible. God gave Adam dominion over the earth and dominion over the animals. And through the fall, we lost that dominion. We're not in control of the earth. How many of you know farmers 
who have, re, who have revealed to you they're not in control. We are not in control of the earth. We no longer have dominion over the earth. There is one who now has dominion over the earth, and his name is Satan. He is the God of this world. This earth is his kingdom. That's where we live. We live in his kingdom. He dwells on the earth. We live in his kingdom. So, let's get some definitions. So, go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Don't have this one printed for you. And when you get Matthew chapter 3, put a ribbon there. And go to Isaiah chapter 40. Matthew 3 and Isaiah 40. All right, Matthew chapter 3. Let's start there and look at verse 1. In those days, now, those of you who have studied the Bible, when you see in those days, what are you supposed to look for? Oh, have I been with you so long and still you don't know? When you see in those days, write it in the margin of your Bible, rapture. I'm sorry, tribulation, tribulation. Scratch out rapture, (laughs) tribulation. It's not always tribulation, but probably three-quarters of the time when you find in those days in your Bible there's a reference to the tribulation. So, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, that's Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his paths." So the kingdom of heaven, before the kingdom of heaven comes, there's going to be someone who announces it. The forerunner of Jesus on the earth was John the Baptist. He he said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is a citation from Isaiah chapter 40. So go back to Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 1. You know, go ahead and, and we'll read verse 1. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to, to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. All right, her warfare is accomplished. The Bible says that God's made Jerusalem a cup of trembling. Israel's warfare is not accomplished right now. They're in a constant state of war. You know that they're at war with Lebanon right now. But what do you mean? There's not, well, there might not be hostilities with Lebanon, but there's never been a peace from that war. They're at war with the Palestinian people. They're constantly at war. Not everything they do is right. They're not always a good nation. As a matter of fact, much of what Israel does is evil. And yet, they're God's people. Okay? So, 
this is telling us something that's going to happen. Verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every, now, okay, now just a minute. So this is, this is who John the Baptist is claiming to be. Y'all saw that in Matthew chapter 3. Are y'all with me on this? Is this what happened? The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. During the tribulation... Those four angels stand on the four corners and they hold back the waters and they bring the winds and the grass is destroyed and the world is basically destroyed. And Jesus comes back and refreshes. When the Bible says, when the times of refreshing come from the Lord, after the restitution of all things, when, when God reinstates the pre-Adamic world, the world as it was before sin entered into the world. That's what God establishes. That's what Jesus brings. Is that what happened when Jesus was born? When Jesus lived those 33 years and John the Baptist begins announcing him, is that what happened? It could have but they didn't receive him. See, Jesus was asked, is John that Elijah? And he said, if you believe, if you had believed, he would have been. So he really was the forerunner of Christ. He really was the one introducing the king and his kingdom, but the people did not receive it and so that kingdom was put on hold until he comes and every eye sees him. And he breathes on the earth and the grass and the people are killed. And then when he returns, the valleys are actually brought up and the mountains are actually in reality brought low. And Israel is raised up to be the highest. Jerusalem is raised up to be the highest place in the world. And a river flows out from that mountain and waters the whole earth. And every eye sees him. That's what's going to happen. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's what John the Baptist had come to announce. Now, look at John 18. John 18.
Look at verse 31. John 18 and verse 31. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law, talking about Christ. John 18, 31, middle of the verse. The Jews therefore said unto him, Is it not lawful for us to put any man to death? I'm sorry, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. So Jesus knew what was going to happen. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, saying, Thou, sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it of thee? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Look at what Jesus said. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. These next two words, two of the most important words in in the Bible. But now is my kingdom not from hence. But now is my kingdom not from hence. It will be. It will be. But right now, it's not. That's why we don't take up arms and fight for the Lord. We don't kill people in the name of Jesus. Y'all notice we don't have Christian flags up here? We're, We're not going to invade a country in the name of God. Now... I'm not a pacifist. If we're attacked, we need a strong military to fight them and kill them. God's given the government the sword. I'm 100% for that. I'm absolutely for our nation having a strong military to defend our people. Because the Bible says that's what's supposed to happen. But we don't convert people that way. How many of you understand what I'm talking about right here? Okay, let's go back to our handout. So the kingdom of God is that spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, let's look at the definition of the kingdom of heaven. So C.I. Schofield, some of you have a Schofield study Bible. He wrote this. The phrase kingdom of heaven is peculiar to Matthew and signifies, by the way, these definitions, except for the Oliver B. Green definition, came from that work Dalton Robertson wrote on on Matthew. So C.I. Schofield said the phrase kingdom of heaven is peculiar to Matthew, that means it's only in Matthew, and signifies the messianic rule of Jesus, Christ, the son of David. So when Jesus rules on earth as the Messiah, it is called kingdom of the heavens. Now, that's just his rephrasing of it. Because it is the rule of the heavens over the earth. It is the rule of the heavens over the earth. This phrase is derived from Daniel where it is defined. All right, let me read you the Daniel passage. I almost read it to you a minute ago when we're in Daniel. So we saw Daniel chapter 4, where we have kingdom and dominion together. Daniel chapter 2, verse 34. So he's describing this stone, and the stone is Jesus that comes and and crushes these kingdoms. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image... Uh, became a great mountain and filled 
the whole earth. Verse 44 says, And in the days of these kings, so the image represented these different kings and kingdoms, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. So the God of heaven setting up a kingdom, we would call that the kingdom of heaven. All right? God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So this kingdom will stand forever. All right? So back to your handout. Kingdom of heaven, number one, Schofield's definition. Number two, Clarence Larkin said, it was the kingdom of heaven, not because it was heavenly or spiritual, but because it was received not because it was not received from men but was given from heaven by God the Father. Now I know I've given you these definitions before but we needed to review this. AC Gabeline said, "This is the kingdom of heavens as promised to Israel and expected by them. It's all earthly." Arthur Pink says, "The sermon on the mountain is the manifesto, or I'm sorry, the sermon on the mount." is the manifesto of the king containing an enunciation of the laws of his kingdom. He also called Matthew the dispensational gospel. Tonight we're going to look at what, how, why, does, why does the kingdom of heaven in Matthew, why is that significant? We're going to explain that tonight. Don't miss tonight. You want to understand your Bible? Don't miss tonight. It's going to be a blast. Oliver B. Green said, The kingdom of heaven is a statement peculiar to the gospel of Matthew. It speaks of the millennium. The 1,000-year reign of Christ here on earth when Christ reigns as son of David. Now remember what dominion means. Supremacy, ascendancy, domination, or dominance, domination, superiority, etc. That's the kingdom of heaven. How many of you recognize that's not the, the king, that's not the lordship, the kingship that Christ is exerting on earth right now? How many of you recognize that? If he is, he's doing a really bad job. But he's not. This is the difference between a post-millennial teaching, a Reformed theology teaching, and what we teach. They believe that we are already in that kingdom, that when Jesus died on the cross, he conquered Satan, Satan is now bound, and this is Jesus Christ's kingdom, and we are living in his kingdom right now, and that eventually it will all be perfect. That's what they believe, folks. So now, let's go on. Number two on your handout. Why are these two clearly distinct kingdoms confused so much in Christian teaching and literature? So if you look at most commentaries, footnote in your Bible, uh, in, in a study Bible, it'll say the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are synonymous. They're describing the same thing. Why? Letter A. Because the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are identical in three parables. In three parables. Okay, turn your page. Good job, young people. Very impressed with how well you did at that time. So what are these three parables? Are you all doing okay? Okay. Here's the crux. All of that was the introduction to my message. Here's my message for today. Three parables where the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are uh, referred to in a, in a similar way in the different Gospels. All right? Number one, the parable of the sower. Number two, the parable of the mustard seed. Number three, the parable of the leaven. All right? So in those three parables, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, the, the, they're both referred to uh, 
uh, the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are both referred to in those three parables. Letter B. In the remaining nine parables, there are no similarities between the two. Why is that missed? Be honest. How many of you think it's weird that people would miss that? Because we study the Bible by looking at similarities and differences. That's how we study the Bible. What One is not like the other. That's how we understand. It's bigger than a bread box. Right? That's how we understand. No, that's not in the Bible, teenagers. So, number one, on the basis of these three similar usages, amillennials, that's people who don't believe in an actual millennium, and postmillennial teachers, those are people who believe we're living in the kingdom now and Jesus Christ will return. On the basis of these three similar usages, amillennial and postmillennial teachers have conflated the church the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven into one unit. What do we people always say? We're trying to bring people into the kingdom. We're trying to bring people into the kingdom. How many of you have heard somebody say that? We're doing work for the kingdom. We're doing work for the kingdom. What are they doing? They're conflating these passages. The church is not the kingdom of heaven. They're conflating that. Number two, this causes them, those who teach that way, to have missed the proper interpretation of three-fourths of the New Testament parables and 75% of the Old Testament prophecies. Do you understand how important that is? That's why this subject is so important. Now, I printed Proverbs 26, 7. Everybody look up here at me. This is the issue. They misunderstand the parables, and that causes them to be lame interpreters of the Bible. They, they, are, they are mentally handicapped. They're lame. They can't understand it. Have you ever seen someone, some of you may have this condition, one leg longer than the other, right? There was a girl like that. They called her Eileen. That's quality right there. One leg longer than the other. Now, how many of you know that a person who is like that, they have all the worth that anyone else has. Right, But you don't want them to be the running back on your football team. Why? Because your body doesn't work well when it's like that. Man, there's back trouble that comes. Many of you in here have that issue. It's a problem. And it stops, you from, it stops your body from working properly. When a person doesn't understand the parables, look at what happens. Here's what the Bible says. I've got it listed for you. I'm not making it up. This is in your Bible. Proverbs 26, 7. The legs of the lame are not equal. So is a parable in the mouth of fools. So what do we have? We have the parables in the mouth of fools. And it causes them to have lame causes them to have lame interpretations of the Bible. The health wealth gospel. Have any of you ever heard that if you give money to God, then, then you've got to sow some seed money and, and God's going to bless you? How many of you ever heard a message like that? Right? That has nothing to do with you. That, that's someone misunderstanding the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. That's a lame interpretation of the Bible. And it causes trouble. Right? How many of you know people that, and, and you might be one of them, that, that they have a problem with their legs or their back or something? How many of you know people that are like that? Now, we love them, right? right? I, I, I've got a bad leg. I'm, I'm practically lame in this leg. And can I tell you something? It's a bummer. It's not a, it's not a compliment. Oh, I like your lame leg. Are you all with me? 
People misinterpreting the parables is not okay. And it results in bad things. Why would God make it so confusing? Isn't that a good question? Well, number one, it's really not that confusing if you actually believe the words. But look at John chapter 7, and I'll show you why. And then we'll see, I'll give you the explanation, and then we'll see from the words of Jesus whether or not this is true. The answer is yes, by the way. Look at verse 14, John 7 and verse 14. Now in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Understand that that is always the view of the experts. You're uneducated. You can't talk. You don't have a degree. You're not worth listening to. Amen? I think Jesus might have known some things. Verse 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but him, but his that sent me. And so here's, here's why it's so confusing. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. You see, if you'll be obedient to what God says, you'll know his doctrine. That's what the Bible says. Why do people miss it? Because they want to do something other than what God has told them to do. Go you into all the world, go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. And so the, the post-millennials will say, well, God, Jesus has all power in heaven and earth. Spiritually is the problem. They think it's physical. God has the spiritual problem. That's why you can pray for people to be saved. That's why as you give people the gospel, as you pray, the Holy Spirit of God will prick their heart. The Holy Spirit of God will convict them. But our job is not to conquer the world and bring in a kingdom. Our job is not to build a kingdom. Our job is to preach the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, baptize those people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then teach them to observe all things whatsoever the Lord commanded. That's what our job is. And when we understand that's what our job is, then we understand, oh, my job is not the kingdom of heaven. My job is to function within the kingdom of God. Why do people miss it? Because they are not being obedient to his word. And do you know what happens when they're not obedient to his word? God hides the truth from them. Look at your handout. Letter C, page 3. Why would God make it so confusing? Well, Jesus answers it. Matthew 13, 10, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? So Matthew 13, everybody look up here. Matthew 13, everybody doing okay? You doing okay? About five more minutes, we'll be out of here. Maybe. This is so important that you get this. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus Christ heals a man. And the Pharisees come and say that he did it in the power of Beelzebub, the power of Satan. They, so what were they doing? Jesus did everything in the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything he did was in the power of the Holy Spirit. They called the Holy Spirit Satan. 
Jesus called that the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. How many of you have heard of the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost? The unpardonable sin. Why is it unpardonable? Because no man can come to the Father unless he's drawn by the Spirit of God. The only way any man can get saved is by the Spirit of God. If you believe the Spirit of God is Satan, you can't get saved. Y'all with me? That's Matthew 12. Jesus never spoke clearly to the Jews again. So in Matthew 13, Jesus starts speaking in parables. And his disciples did this. Huh? Because the message didn't make any sense. Look what the Bible says. I've got it printed for you. Matthew 13, 10. And his disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Next verse. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it is not given. They wouldn't receive the truth. So he didn't give them the truth. Am I making it up or is that what it says? Look at the next one that's listed. Luke 8.10. And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. How about that? But to others in parables. And then he cites Isaiah. This is one of the most quoted passages in the Bible. It's one of the most quoted Old Testament passages quoted in the New Testament. All right? What is it, what's it say? And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. He is hiding the truth from them, because they wouldn't receive it. So let's look at an example. Look at Luke. Open your Bible. Bibles to Luke. Chapter 13. So remember I said there are three parables where they're both cited. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Luke 13, look at verse 18. Then said he, unto what is the kingdom of God like, and whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree. And the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. And again, he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. All right, so these are, these are two of the, the parables of the kingdom of God. Number one on your handout. Here are two parables on the kingdom of God. You will find these same two parables in Matthew chapter 13, except there they are parables on the kingdom of heaven. And that's Matthew 13, 31, and 33. Number three on your handout. To conflate the two kingdoms, teachers completely ignore the definitive references that define both kingdoms, all of those that we have already looked at. Number four. Matthew 13 has seven parables on the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's what they're called in Matthew 13, 11. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Number five. Out of those seven parables, only three match those of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. They're repeated in Mark 4.11 and Luke 8.10. They're the parable of the sower, 
mustard seed, and leaven, as we said above. We're answering, why are they confused? Why are they conflated? Letter B. That teaches us, this, this fact, that they are in three similar places. That teaches us that there are some similarities between the two kingdoms. Similarities do not make them the same. One author said, a dog and a deer both have four legs. But they're not the same. Amen? Men and women both have two legs, but they're not the same. All right? So keep in mind, letter C, keep in mind in dealing with passages like this one that there are things about a literal, physical kingdom in this age, right now where we live, that affect the formation and progress of the spiritual kingdom. How does that work? So the Bible says that that uh, it's like a grain of mustard seed that grows and The birds come and lodge in the branches. So the kingdom of heaven is that way. It's going to come in a moment. But the church is that way. The church is going to grow. And this woman that that is identified in the text, that's the woman of Revelation chapter 17, the whore that sitteth on many waters that has a church. But it's a false church. It's a false institution. It's a false organization. And what does that false institution and organization do? It takes the spiritual kingdom and the physical kingdom and marries them together. And says that not only is the church supposed to be over the spiritual aspect, but the church is also supposed to be over the political aspect. And it marries the two together. There's a true church and a false church. So what happens in the world affects the spiritual kingdom. Because here's what happens. People think that they have to get into that church, that physical church, that physical kingdom, in order to be a part of the spiritual kingdom. So there are many people that are baptized into a church as a baby, and they think that makes them a child of God. What's happened? They've taken a physical church, and they've married it with the spiritual church. And the Bible says you can't marry those two things. You can't. And that is a satanic thing. So what happens is we have unbelievers in the church. All right? Let's go to your handout. Let her see. Keep in mind, in dealing with passages like this one, that there are things about the literal physical kingdom in this age that affect the formation and progress of the spiritual kingdom. Letter D. The devil has a church, a religious organization represented by the woman in verse 21 who mixed the leaven in the meal, which seeks to be the head over both kingdoms. It is a church, the spiritual kingdom of God, and a political state, the physical kingdom of heaven. This organization affects the body of true believers on this earth, both spiritually and physically. So how do we apply all of this? Uh, Okay, you can all stand up. You can close your your Bibles and stand up. How do we apply all of this to us? The only way you're truly going to understand the Bible is by obeying it. Amen? The only way. The reason there's so much confusion in Christianity about healing and tongues and about um, uh, the kingdom and about politics, uh, the, the social gospel, trying to feed people instead of giving them the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reason there's so much confusion is people don't want to obey what he told us to do, the Great Commission. And so they begin doing everything else, and they have to find warrant for that in the Bible. In order to do that, they have to be blind to what it actually says. The other application that's vital 
Do you remember all of the passage, all of those words that describe dominion? Is that what Jesus has in your life? Be honest. How many of you were a little convicted by that? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, me too. We have to submit to the Lordship of Christ. If we want to understand the Bible and know what it says and then know what to do in the power of the Holy Spirit, we've got to allow the Lord to be our king. And isn't it an amazing thing that he gives us that choice? You choose. You choose every day and every moment of every day whether or not Jesus is your Lord. Now, you only get saved once. Isn't that great? I may, one of these days, go through that parable of the sower. I mentioned it in the Sunday school hour. If we apply that to the church, maybe a fifth of people who call themselves Christians are actually saved. Did you hear what I just said? There are a lot of people that call themselves Christians, but Jesus is not their Lord and never has been. Those people are not born again. Y'all hear what I said? If If you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ alone as your Lord and Savior, you are not born again. Just because you said some words like in a confessional, like in a catechism, just because you said some words, that does not mean that you are born again. Salvation is a transaction where you give Jesus your sin and he gives you his righteousness and that's based on faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and confession of him as Lord. That's what the Bible says. The reason that many people don't live for Christ is because they're not saved. Are you born again? Make sure. Now, parents, if your child comes to you and says, I'm not sure if I'm born again, Here's the biggest mistake you can make. Oh, yes, you are. I remember when you prayed. That's the wrong answer. Well, let's get that settled. Let's make sure. Let's make sure. Amen? It's amazing how Christian parents are offended that their kids aren't saved. You'd be thankful that God's working in their hearts. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice is saved here in the room, on the internet, later on as someone watches this, this message.